Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Parks and Recollection, the podcast in which we talk about parks and recreation. But you probably already know that because we're way deep into the season and everybody's been, you know, here for this. It's me, Rob Lowe, and Alan Yang. Good one today. Another good one, right, Alan? What's up, Rolo? Yeah, I'm just when you were talking about the intro, it's like, it would be funny if someone knew nothing about this show and just to start with this episode. Like, I've never <laughs> seen Parks and Recreation. I'm just going to listen. <laughs> like, just give it a shot. Hey, you might have a good time anyway. Who knows? Yeah, we're open to all. We're, we're open to everybody. I think. I think you know it's accessible. Anybody can come in at any time. It's like a warm pool. Jump in. We we talk about a lot of random <laughs> stuff, so it might actually yeah. be accessible as well. So the bubble. We've got the bubble today. Um, Greg Levine. Hello, hello. Big episode. Big episode. Very exciting. Yeah, I remember working on this one. We'll get into it when we when we uh, when we get into the, the meat of the talk. But yeah, uh, this is uh, this episode's called the bubble, and it's it's kind of the late end, the tail end of season three, one of the great seasons, uh, episode fifteen. So there are only sixteen episodes this year. So this was the penultimate episode, second to last. Uh, it's called the bubble. As we mentioned, written by Greg Levine and Brian Rowe. So uh, Greg and Brian were our writer's assistants at the time. So they got the credit for this episode. Uh, directed by Matt Sohn. And original air date, May 19th, 2011. Matt, I think, came to us from the office. I believe he was the DP over there and started directing some episodes. Very sweet guy. Love Matt. Um, and the blurb, Leslie's mom makes a pass at Ben, not knowing that he and Leslie are dating. Meanwhile, Chris makes radical changes in the office and nobody is happy with them. Including Chris, um, probably. Yes, <laughs> it's a classic. Chris starting the episode. Uh, let's get to the Nopes notes. The episode was co-written by Greg Levine, producer Greg on this show, and Brian Rowe. Um, so, yeah, how did that all sort of come about? We, we, we were talking about this earlier, Greg. Yeah, you know, um, Brian and I were our writer's assistants, and um, this episode I remember being very difficult to break, and then I think it went through one or two major rewrites. And we've talked about this before, but sometimes when you do a big rewrite, it becomes just a very big 
writer thing, right? The entire room gets together. We call it a Frankenstein draft where everybody kind of goes off, writes a scene or two. They come together in this weird Frankenstein's monster of a script, and then it's all blended to make sense. And so because this script kept being room written um, and rewritten, um, uh, Mike allowed Brian and I to kind of pitch on it, to write some stuff in it. And because we had a hand in some of it, um, uh, he in the room gave us the writing credit. And what was awesome about that as writer's assistants, it's something you dream about uh, to get your name up on the screen, but to actually contribute to the script also was awesome. And then he and I took turns covering the room, one of us and the other one being on set for the episode. And um, that was invaluable experience. So it was a really tremendous moment for both of us in our careers. It's really great. I mean, it's really hard to get a job even as a writer's assistant. That That is not, it's not an easy job to get. You know, you have to really kick in a lot of doors to even get that job. And then I think the best rooms I've been in, you know, you're trying to always mentor and sort of lift everyone else up, whether they're mid-level writers, lower-level writers, writer's assistants, PAs, whoever, like, what more is there than to sort of continuing to help the education of people who are learning to get into this job, right? And so uh, I think that was really important to Mike and, and that was helpful in the show. And, um, you know, there, and, and by the way, this was a difficult episode to write and I, I think it came out well, but but it was, keep in mind, we had essentially done 24 episodes and then 30 episodes and then this was the end of season three. So it, it's just been a long run of episodes. This was the second to last episode of this season and it just, you know, this doesn't happen in short order shows anymore. It happens in longer running shows. Like if you're doing 22, 24, 30 episodes, you have been in that room for so long <laughs> that, that an episode like this, like sometimes you've just, you're just kind of running on fumes. So it's nice to get a little jolt of, uh, of energy from, uh, from you guys. Rewatching it to prep for this episode, I was remarked at how much plot is stuffed into this. And I remember why it was so hard. And I can't wait to go through it with you guys is that um, Ben and Leslie kiss in the previous episode, but then we're not at the finale yet. And so you have to kind of tread water in an interesting way that progresses them. But you also have to set up potential cliffhangers or moments for every single character in the finale coming up after it. So you'd stuff it with plot, which is why this felt like a Frankenstein script from the get-go. So anyway, it's filled with stuff, and I can't wait to get into it. Yes, absolutely. It's sort of you know that thing of the second to last episode, you're obviously, honestly... Uh, a lot of the time you're setting up chess pieces for the finale. And so that, you know, we, we went through this when the show I'm working on right now. It's like, yeah, the, the, the second last episode, you're doing a lot of that business. Um, all right, the sh the, let's move on with some more notes. Notes, the spaceship keyboard that Donna is forced to use is an actual ergonomic keyboard manufactured by SafeType. Uh, this episode marks the first appearance of Ethel Beavers, Yay. played by the incomparable Helen Slayton Hughes. Helen's still acting, still acting. It's just, uh, she's one of our favorites. Uh, kills with every line. She's great. Leslie tells Ben that her mother loves McSteamy from the TV show Grey's Anatomy. Pamela Reed, who plays Marlene Griggs-Nope, once played a patient in an episode of Grey's Anatomy titled Valentine's Day Massacre. And I famously turned down the show Grey's Anatomy. Oh, so it all shit. comes full circle. Whoa. <laughs> what, did, they offer you, did they offer you McDreamy? McDreamy, yes. It was before yes. he was named McDreamy. I, I yes. posit that had I done it, they wouldn't have nicknamed me. And there would be no McDreamy. <laughs> Well, I, I agree because uh, you were more famous than Patrick Dempsey. So be I think it, felt, it would be weird. Like, yeah, we know that guy. <laughs> like, it was yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like that kind of thing. Where, That's like, what I know think. That guy. That's what yeah, I think. I, and, I agree. I, and people, yeah, was, you know, a lot of people, including my wife, make fun of me because that is a cash cow. 
that is still going on. <laughs> it's, it's still airing. It's, but he hasn't been on the show forever, right? Or is he but he could have been if he wanted yes, to. That's I mean, true. Like that's if you true. want, if you, if you wanted to, and you're Patrick Dempsey, he is, likes racing and does other things, so he'd had enough. I get it. But if you wanted to, you'd still be on it, just banking and banking and banking. It's probably I've done the math sometimes. I think it's probably a at this point of fifty million dollars swing. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's and it's 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 uh it's like season twenty or something, right? What season? But you know what though, and people always you know beat me up about it sometimes, um, including my wife. Um, I had I done that, I would not have been able to do Parks and Recreation, Parks and Rec, and all the other shit you've done. It's yeah. like the, it it you just these things. I don't know. I feel like when when stuff like that happens, is like you kind of just move forward. Oh, I, I, I have like, I have zero regrets. Like, okay, good. Zero, I, no, I was like, uh, also your life's pretty good. <laughs> zero zero regrets. And by the way, I'd rather be on Parks and Rec than than yeah. Grey's Anatomy. No 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 offense to Grey's Anatomy. It's great, but Parks and Rec is. <laughs> Do you think the parents of actors? Their favorite role for their kids is when their kids get to be doctors. That's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> right? It's like, I get to see yes. <laughs> the version of, oh, I would mean, love their kid to be a doctor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're, a Jewish, you're a Jewish kid talking to an Asian kid. You probably, yeah, yeah, like, for yeah, us, yeah. Man, certainly <laughs> would be nice. My, my dad's a doctor, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Uh, all right. So let's get into the synopsis. The Parks Department welcomes Synopsis. Synopsis. Per- Synop- oh, shit. That's right. So synopsis. Also, this was uh, submitted to us by uh, user at Andy Zito, I believe, said we should call it the synopsis. So thank you, Andy Zito. Um, we'll call it that from now on, as long as I don't forget, like I just did one second ago. <laughs> uh, let's get into the synopsis. The Parks Department welcomes Ann Perkins to her new office at Pawnee City Hall and fills it with balloons, much to the chagrin of her cranky office mate, Stuart. Leslie and Ben are dating, but they're keeping their relationship a secret due to a no-dating policy at work. They're enjoying what Leslie calls the bubble. Or the beginning of a relationship when everything is simple and fun. Uh, yeah, I remember this cold open. I feel like I went down to set for this because I remember that office being full of balloons. Just massively full of balloons. Kind of fun to shoot. Um, probably a nightmare for the props department set deck. Um, but uh, yeah, finally an Anne cold open in City Hall where she works finally. <laughs> season, at the end of season three, she finally works there. Uh, it was kind of fun. Do you remember, Were you on set for this, Craig? Do you remember? Uh, I stopped by for, I think uh, Brian was there, but I remember uh, thinking yeah. about how we had another great bit with balloons and Anne. Like this is like in three episodes, Anne has a lot of, uh, has her balloon <laughs> bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that's one of her strong characteristics is that she's always around balloons. Um, the cold open, you know, so, uh, you know, there's a question in the prompt here, like basically like we're told opens always a given in the show. And... I wait, and before we even get into that, I want to just, yeah, please for the, for the folks out there, explain like what what is the first of all what is the difference between a teaser and a cold open and how do you think they got their names i mean teaser is sort of self-explanatory it's teasing you to the story that's about to come up but a cold open because when i think of a cold open i think of that's an, an snl term like um i think i think chevy was breathtaking in the cold open <laughs> There you go. And and uh, I think so just for those of you who are uninitiated and don't know what we're talking about, just like I mentioned, if you jumped into this episode first, uh, the cold open or teaser is a scene that starts the show usually before the opening credits. And so I think maybe that's what it means by cold is there's no even indication or that, the show's that on. this is exactly that it just starts. You, you start cold and you're in the show. You're doing it. 
Um, it's usually in this show would be like a funny scene, like one scene maybe at most, and 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 like sort of get it's a little sketch, it's like a tiny sketch, like SNL, and that sort of warms you up. It's like an amuse bouche, um, and then the credits would happen. We'd always say like, then we go to the theme song, bump 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 bump. I <laughs> think we'd always say that. Um, this. I think the structure was kind of dictated for us. I remember uh, distinctly it would usually be a cold open and then three acts, each having an act break, and then the tag, essentially, well, which is another. And that's because thing. that's where the, the network is going to put the commercials. That's why. That's right. That's, why, that's why it right. And so when you're writing now for streamers and you're not doing commercials, there's no such. There's no reason to have a cold open. So, do you ever do that ever? Uh, we actually do on our new show. We do. So, so th- 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 this is what happens. I remember when we started doing Master of None, we would submit our scripts to Netflix. Like, we don't need act breaks. Yes. Like, you know, we were used to putting, hey, end of Act One, end of Act Two, and it helps you story wise sometimes. Yes. You know, you want to write a, a good act break. It's like, wow, it's a cliffhanger. That's what our act breaks were in parks. It would always be, hey, there's a twist or an escalation or a turn, a reversal, a surprise. I just listed a bunch of synonyms. But mm. it, it basically, you know, that's what would get the audience to, you know, it's in the time of like soap operas. We do the same thing. Something crazy happens. Oh my God, he killed my wife or whatever. Yeah. Something, and, and then you would come back from the, from the break. Streaming, it's, it's a movie. So you just write, hey, here's 30 pages, and it's just 30 straight pages. What we have done in this new show, uh, Loot, that, that that we're doing that stars Maya Rudolph, um, we wrote the scripts, and then in the editing room, we decided kind of where the cold open was. And like sometimes, it, you know, it's like we just kind of decided sometimes we didn't have one or whatever. But this one is kind of like a throwbacky show where, where there does feel like there's a cold open. And I still remember in the course of the run of Parks and Rec, at a certain point, NBC was like, we need four acts. We're like four, like four acts of like, that's not like Aristotle wasn't like the classic four acts of storytelling that was, that was, was doing like, and it really like threw us for a loop because it's weird to do three cliffhangers in a show. So, uh, that was strange. And when you, but when you're writing now, do you have an opening title? Like, how do you, because there's a whole thing about that. Do you, is it a, a a sequence? Is it, how long is it? All that stuff. I'm so interested in that. It's it's kind of dealer's choice. It's showrunner's choice because yeah. they they honestly ask us, and some shows don't have it. Like you know, like uh, I we went to the the premiere of Hacks, a great show on HBO Max, produced by Mike Schur, um, created by Jen Stasky and Lucia and Paul, and who used to write for Parks. Uh, Stasky did. Um, they don't really have a title sequence, as far as I know. I think it just it just Hacks just appears on the screen. Like Atlanta is kind of same thing, just as Atlanta on Master None. We had like a kind of throwbacky like seventies. Just the, just like a black screen and then like a little logo and then it would kind of play all the, the people's names. So and then on loot, uh, we we have a traditional kind of uh, uh, opening sequence. It's kind of cool. It's just like a, we we had a theme song commission. A guy wrote a theme song for us. It was great. It's this dude, uh, um, uh, DJ Cheapshot from Styles of Beyond wrote it. Wrote a wrote a theme song. So it, it you kind of kind of do whatever and it's kind of great. You know, like it, it kind of depends on the show and and uh, to me it depends on the episode. We have episodes that we don't use a the theme song in, so it's kind of cool. It's inter- a little factoid. So I'm I'm producing and starring in a new show for Netflix and we're in pre-production we're writing the scripts and I am obsessed with this band Foster the People and I yep. got my friend Mark Foster to write he's going to write a theme song for us and the Netflix people were like look just so you know we're not going to pay for it and we have the data we can show you that people 97% of the audience skips any main title sequence 100% of the time. 
Yes. And I said, so you you can do it all you want. It'll be great. You'll love it. And, and even the people who love it, just so you know, will skip it. 97% of everybody who's watching it will skip it 100% of the time. Do you still want to do it? And I'm like, oh, well, geez, maybe not. <laughs> yes, I've heard that same data. And you know what? When the Game of Thrones theme song came on, I listened to it. I like watching it. I'm the same. <laughs> I kind of liked it. So I maybe in the 3%. I'm the same. It depends on the thing. It gets yeah. you in the mood. And by the way, even if you hear it once, I think there's a Pavlovian thing. I got to race to my remote to hit skip intro anyway. I'm going to hear the first five seconds. Dude, when I hear that succession theme song, it's great. You, you love the song. It's like it, I think there's actually a Pavlovian uh, thing where it's just like I, li- I like theme songs. I think they're kind of cool and you know, it's not right for every show, but I get the data and it, look, make people skip intro if they want to, but, but I like the theme song and, and, uh, I find it to be fun. Um, all right, let's get to the synopsis here. Synopsis. Apologies, Andy Zito. The bubble is threatened when Ben has a meeting with Leslie's mother, Marlene Griggs. Nope. A notoriously tough politician in the Pawnee school system who wants Ben to approve the purchase of four new school buses despite a difficult budget season. Afraid of ruining the bubble, Leslie initially tells Ben she's not related to Marlene. Right before Ben's meeting, however, Leslie admits Marlene is her mother, making him nervous and causing him to capitulate to all of her demands during the meeting. Marlene considers Ben weak, so Leslie becomes determined to prove that he's a tough boss to impress Marlene. Wow, the Marlene Griggs Nope is back. Yeah. <laughs> you never thought it would happen. Mm, God, no. remember that? That's never. crazy. Never. No, she's great too. That's a great. It's a great relationship. I think it always helps me inf- understand why Leslie is Leslie. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to win over uh, uh, her mother's love. Greg, do you remember why we decided to do this? Was this like was this planned a long time? Was it was it like I don't remember. Like I'm trying to think back. I don't think it was planned a long time, but I think the idea of this this bubble, this like thing that exists at the beginning of a relationship and when you're not sure where it's going that energy that excitement really interested us in the room and so when we were trying to localize like the stakes of it and who could kind of pierce that in a way that was interesting i think the idea of bringing marlene made sense because it also tends to put leslie on the back foot more than she usually is she's usually you know driving things with some confidence and an opinion and marlene has this way of um disarming leslie um, you know, I was just realizing too, I, I have two episodes I, I, with credit to my name on the show. The other one I, I did write start to finish. And both of them were about one of Leslie or Ben meeting the other one's parents. It's your specialty. <laughs> it's your specialty, yeah. meeting the parents. Um, do you remember, Rolo, you ever meeting, remember meeting uh, uh, Cheryl's, Cheryl's parents? Do you remember meeting? Uh, oh, God, yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, everybody remembers meeting their significant other's parents for the first time. It's always like fascinating and horrifying at the same time. And I don't care who, how much you love them, don't love them, hate them, whatever. It's fascinating and horrifying at the same time. <laughs> I, I, I remember meeting Christine's parents and, and, uh, she is very different. She, she, you know, she's adopted and she has a, a birth mother as well. Like there, and her two moms are very different. And it's one of them loves to party. She lives in Taiwan and loves to party, like go on drinking. And then her other mom is like a more traditional Asian mom who is like kind of strict and stuff. But man, it's 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 always a nerve wracking moment. And end up being great. 
Because I, I can, by the way, I can do both. I can party or I can be a good boy. So, so <laughs> it was all good. It was yeah. all good. But uh, very, very funny. Um, all right. Uh, ben says at some point, I don't think this is funny in the episode, about eight minutes in, he says at one point in his meeting with Marlene, he for no reason took off his shoes and held them in his hands. This is an inside joke in the writer's room about how Ron held his shoes in his hands while at April's parents' house back in 94 meetings. Yeah, I think it's a Dan Gore, I feel like. I think it'd be crazy if I couldn't just say, I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think of anyone else who wouldn't have remembered this and have really just kept bringing it up as a weird choice. I... <laughs> I think it maybe was specifically a Dan Gore dig at Harris That's right. because Harris wrote 94 meetings and was on set and did not stop that from happening. So Dan and Dan and Harris had a, a, a friendly rivalry in the but room. But why would you want to stop it from happening? It's such a great actor's <laughs> moment. It's like it's that special sauce, that magic that you hope an actor comes up with that you're like, what the fuck? Why? What? And that I like it's great. that. I love that. Rolo loves that moment. That's <laughs> It's one of my fun, like the funniest memories from the room is 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 watching Mike's face as he saw that cut and him coming back in the room and then showing it to us and being like, "Why did he do this?" Because that's one of the hazards if you're a showrunner who can't be on set. That so so he. I remember we talked about this w- when we did the episode, but I just yeah. love the notion that Mike Sure was just so horrified by that. Yes, it's just he's so like, great. But do my show. He very rarely was like that, but it was like he was just he was he was flummoxed. He was like he was completely flummoxed. I think he was shocked that there was to take without it right so at least we didn't yes. have the option i don't think so much it was yes. like this actor choice i think he respected the actor choice i think that harris yeah. didn't get a second option yes 100 <laughs> that is it. and that makes yes. perfect 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 shoot it, sense. shoot it multiple ways i think i think he sometimes thought harris was just upset like <laughs> high or something just like, smoke weed or something <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta do it having, having his own time having his own time Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Now, Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved, which is awesome, and they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So, so good. I love this stuff. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore to help you crush your wellness goals. And let me tell you what I crush they have a smoky bacon and cheddar egg bite that is. Mm, 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 good. Mm. I tried their shakes also, and they were so good. Oh, I'm a Factor fan. Head to factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 and use code parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code parksandrex50 at factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. That is so true, Greg. LinkedIn knows that as a small business owner, you don't have the time or the resources to spend countless hours looking for the right person for the job. So they have launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. And it isn't just a job board. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching. In fact, get this, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Wow, that, that, that's impressive. That's amazing. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash parks. That's linkedin.com slash parks to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Chris has enacted numerous changes to the Parks Department. He promotes Jerry to Public Relations Director, appoints April as everyone's assistant, places Tom Haverford on the Nightmare's fourth floor with Andy as his temporary assistant, and makes Ron sit in the middle of a circular desk after the removal of his office to force him to interact with people. Ron believes everything will eventually go back to normal as it has with past city managers that implemented changes. However, Donna is concerned that the overly determined Chris will not do so and demands that Ron talk to him. On the fourth floor, Tom's attempts to charm some of the elderly women, including Ethel Beavers and Muriel, into doing his work, but fails miserably as they ignore him and all adore Andy and April. A lot going on. I remember this circular desk really well. Me too. Remember this circular desk, Rob? Because you got to go in there and, and, and mess around. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare to shoot. I don't remember why it was a nightmare to shoot, but it was a nightmare, I think, because we had to get in and out. I just remember it was a debacle, that damn desk. We all hated it. Was it like a camera angle thing? Probably hard to get in. It was a camera angle thing, and, 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 and for him to turn, there was a whole thing about how it turned and he turned, and, and then work. it was just not not easy to shoot at all, which is one of those things where sometimes you write something and... And then you realize, oh my God, this is a nightmare to shoot. And there's no way of knowing until you're doing it. Yes. That that is that happens. That and you don't it's not predictable, right? Yep. It's like you write you write some gag in and you think, oh, you get you happy, you get the the desk built, all this stuff. And then on the day you're like, Oh, this is really difficult. Um, but we pulled it off. I mean, it's 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 funny in the show. It's yep. funny when you're in it. Um, and this was like, was this a real thing? Like this Swedish word he said, was it? I yes. Think we researched that or something, right? That seemed all real. 100% real because I remember asking about it in the script. Yes. I was like, well, is this a thing? And and they were like, yeah, oh, it's very much a thing. Yeah. And, and it's fun to see Chris like get into the Parks Department set because it's like you, you're not often in there. Sometimes you're just bare, usually there to lay down the law or whatever. And you get to actually interact with the other uh, Parks Department people. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It was, it was great to have scenes with everybody. I, I think I literally had scenes with everybody. <laughs> which doesn't always happen in every episode. Yeah. And we get the rare uh, Ron Donna scene. Ooh, yes. Like, oh, Donna, Donna giving Ron a pep talk. <laughs> like that, that's like, again, like once you get deeper into a show's run, you kind of see these oddball pairings and it's like, wow, we don't, I mean, that's the other crazy thing about, you know, Jim O'Hare and, and Retta in this show. It's like they launched their careers in some way and, and you know, Retta's, Retta's the star of her own show and all that stuff is like, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of, you know, they, again, they were, uh, they were, they were, uh, uh, background. They were they were background artists in the first uh, first amazing. season, and it's then just... they just graduated to huge parts of the show. Yep, just telling telling the boss what to do. Yeah, <laughs> that scene, that moment when she's talking to uh, complaining about her keyboard to Ron, it's so incredible stuff uh, from Retta, right? She that delivery of that word, that typo she keeps trying, like perfliptus club or whatever it is. It's I found it unbelievable. I remember cracking up on set when that would happen. I feel like that whole. B story just created so many moments of people just biting their tongues uh, to not laugh. Yes, uh, and I was also watching the episode with captions. I'll just say, and uh, shout out to the captionist getting Perfliptus Club spelled correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do they get their? Do they get the script? Do they see the script or no? Or are they just guessing? No, I think they do now. I think what they do is they okay. clean up a, the version because now everything with streaming, you have to have it 
at the time it's launched in every caption with every language available, overdubbed with every language. And so I think all scripts are sent out to a, a company that yes. does all that. I like the bit where Ron is in the chair and, and he's kind of swiveling around. I feel like we had a lot of fun with that. And th that bit about the sun tea was, I think, uh, pitched by Brian Rowe, uh, your fellow writer's assistant. That's right. Um, should we talk about, oh, also this, so this is a thing that we try to sort of incorporate into the set. Like, you know, we always wanted to remove the pillar in front of Ron's office. Oh my God, I remember this. Because it was horrible for shooting. And so we wrote it into the show so that we could get rid of it because <laughs> it was impossible to shoot. They like, kept blocking the camera angle. So we just got rid of it and wrote it into the show, right? Well, that's an, another thing that, that just the nitty gritty of doing, of making television that I always love is there's always something on the set that you build. And you don't realize it's going to fuck you every ep <laughs> yes. episode. And, f and, and finally you, you take care of it. Usually happens in the off season. You come back and like, Hey, that wall's gone or that window that is gone. I, but on this show, I love it. They just took it out during the middle of the season <laughs> yes. with construction. And it was wrote it into the show. Super funny. Wrote it into the show. That the current thing on, on the show that we just wrapped uh loot, it was, we have these, table lamps and they're like red and they're they're cool looking and then it's like oh every time we're shooting people their desks like these lamps are in the way like they're you just see the red lamp it's just lamps 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 look like, like ufos oh, we gotta, you're like wait yeah, why are there exactly. red ufos in this shot we gotta raise or lower these it just doesn't it's like it's a beautiful set you know our production editor did a great job but it's just like ah oh, the you just never know it's like these lamps are now in the way of every shot somehow um and so who knows maybe we'll change it we get another season um, but yeah, that, that was, uh, uh, that pillar was the, the, the bane of everyone's existence. Is this the first appearance of the fourth floor or the second appearance? Greg, do you remember? This is the like second appearance. We originally go okay. up to the t first floor, I believe in episode 11, Tom's divorce in season okay. two. Um, but it's the first real time we're getting to know the people there. Right. And so yes. that, that's why I think it was so fun for us in the room to break a character like Ethel Beavers. Um, because it just opened up and humanized this weird, this weird floor. And I think, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the set deck work in her office was incredible. There is an open half-empty bottle of Tums, and then next to it, just a generic bottle of antacids. <laughs> <laughs> Extra, doubling up. Yeah, Ethel Beaver's played by... Uh, uh... Helen Slayton Hughes, I believe her name is. That's right. And uh, she's still acting, as I said. She's still auditioning for movies, I think, because he's just cast her in something. And, and uh, she's uh, really, really funny. And I believe in the finale or near the finale of this show, it's revealed she had an affair with uh, the mayor, Mayor Gunderson. And uh, yeah, it's just like uh, she keep, we kept bringing her back because we knew she was funny. Um, there's also another character who uh, comes in looking for Mort Jansen and then smashes a coffee pot on the wall. And that is played by former Parks writer Dana Gould, who was also a seminal alternative comedian. Um, Dana wrote for this show, what, season two, maybe? But it was cool to get to meet Dana because uh, I had, you know, obviously see his stand up. And, and uh, yeah, he was he was a friend of Greg Daniels, I believe, too. Okay, uh, let's move on with the synopsis. Leslie trains Ben for his next meeting with her mother. He impresses Marlene so much with his tough negotiation skills that she becomes flirtatious with him. An uncomfortable Ben tells Leslie they should tell her about their relationship, but Leslie does not want to lose the bubble. Fed up, Ben storms into Marlene's office and tells her that he's dating her daughter and asks her to keep it secret. Marlene laughs off the situation and tells Leslie that she approves of Ben. Uh, this is... <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess he he's kind of standing. I, he was kind of forceful in this, right? He's kind of yelling at her a little bit. It was kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is this 
began the really like it began the big Leslie Ben big romance that will eventually culminate in all the Parks and Rec gentlemen in tuxedos. Yes. For the wedding. Getting married, all that stuff. My favorite photo that I have. I have two favorite photos from Parks and Rec. One is all the Parks and Rec men in Colts uniforms in uh, in the Colts arena. And the other is all of us in our tuxedos from the wedding that this begins the the march to. Yes. I remember uh, I remember going to that Colts stadium. It was really fun. We got to mess around and, and throw footballs and catch passes and all that stuff, kick field goals. Um the assistant who pops into Penn's office handing him a piece of paper is Tammy Diadio, who was the line producer and EP Morgan Sackett's assistant at the time. Shout out to Tammy. Very cool to see people. Now, we, they stopped kind of letting us do that. I feel like at the, at, while we were shooting Parks, we would like sometimes sneak staff members yeah. into the show and, and even give them lines sometimes. But now I think the studio network doesn't want you to do that. I think it's called, like, if you're not in SAG already, it's a huge rigmarole to do it. It's, you have to, like, Taft-Hartley someone, that's what it's called, yeah, to, like, yeah. get them into, right, get yeah. them into the guild. Yep. And I feel like they thought it was, like, some kind of, like, grift or something. Like, they, they, they thought it was, like, but it's not. It really was just, like, a, a fun nod, like an Easter egg. It, like, to, like, hey, this is, this person worked on the show, like, Let's give them, you know, a little part in it. But I feel like they don't want you to do that. Wait a minute. Like, are, you, like, are you suggesting that the studios are killing the fun of making a show? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like they're, I think they're hiding behind like a legal thing. It's like, yeah, they want, we want them to be Wait a minute. Are you like, suggesting that the legal stuff is, is making the shows less fun? I've already complained about like clearances, but this is also like kind of like, think about how fun it is that like almost every writer on Parks is in the show. Like that's kind of pretty Almost everybody who was on the show for a while as a writer like has some kind of cameo, usually with lines, which is kind of crazy. The Office was pretty famous for doing this, besides the fact that several of the writers were actors at the same time. But do you see almost every writer shows up at some point? Like the finale has yeah. several of them just sitting at the bar. I think there's something also, I don't know, it's kind of nice. Like you write this thing or you make this thing if you're an assistant to a line producer or you're the UPM, yeah. whatever it is, to be like, hey, I'm I'm going to show up in, and just live forever in this world. But they really do fight you at it now. It's, it's tough. They really fight. I, I, and it's such a cool, yeah, you're right. It's It's kind of a cool reward. It's like. I've been working on the show day and night, slaving over it for three, four, five years, and then I'm in the show for like a blip. It's kind of fun, right? I don't know. I, it's it's not up to me, but it, it feels like, yeah, it throw us a bone a little bit, right? If you work on the show. I'm all for it. Yeah, it's kind of fun. And it's like, it's a fun thing on set. It's like, oh, Tammy's here. And then we shoot it out. You know, we shoot her. You know, she's handing someone a piece of paper. Like, it's she can do it. Um, it's fun to see Pamela Reed and Amy Poehler again in this episode. There's a great shot of them when... Uh, Ben says something and they, they both turn their heads towards him in the same way. It's really just sweet. It it's really a sweet moment. Yeah, if you're watching at home, like uh, go to, I think it's minute 14, 1450, uh, and you'll see this great moment of the two of them. What a great choice they had. Yeah, super sweet. Um, yeah, this is sort of a throwback. You know, there's a note here in, in, the, in, the, in the notes here about uh, how this was almost like more like not not super awkward but sort of more awkward than parks usually does like the turn of the end of act two when marlene is hitting on ben um you know greg you were talking about how this is kind of more like the office almost putting them in an uncomfortable situation uh but you know parks resolves it and it just resolves everything in a sweeter way that's just like the tendency of this show so i i feel like that's kind of what set it apart yeah it's not cringe comedy parks was never cringe comedy ever i don't think and this might get into the weeds of writing a bit, but I think 
other shows like The Office, I think that relies on that uncomfortable factor to drive comedy, I think, in a great way. I mean, it's the, one of the best shows it would have done a moment like this much earlier on in the episode, right? So that it only has to heighten and get more uncomfortable from here. But I think it's the Parks version that saves the unpleasantness for as minimal time on screen as possible and so this awkwardness of marlene hitting on ben happens at the act two break where there's only minutes left to resolve you don't have to worry about leslie having to maybe convince ben to go on a fake date with her or anything else that another show would have done yeah i really feel like the show kind of found its voice in that respect where i think and i think that's honestly mike's voice i mean this was the first show he got to co-create and and uh you know kind of took over as showrunner and i remember talking to greg about it. he's like yeah mike's instinct is just to be a little bit sweeter and just to have you know, good people treating each other respectfully. And, and that's tough to wring comedy out of sometimes. But, you know, the show, I think, is a, is a admirable a job, does an admirable job of, of trying to do that. And so it just it just kind of went away from the kind of cringe stuff, the uncomfortable humor and and kind of reflected its time period a little more, too. Yeah. Uh, continuing on with the synopsis, Ron tells Chris the changes do not play to his staff's strengths and decides to compromise. If Chris returns everything to the way it was, he will remain in the desk for another week. Chris complies. Nevertheless, Tom is frustrated with the experience and begins to contemplate leaving his city hall job to pursue his own entrepreneurial interests. Uh, this is a this was a fun scene. It was it was uh, you know seeing Chris and Ron go up against each other. I, I find always pretty satisfying. Um, because this is two, again, as we said, two different, very different male archetypes, but, uh, like two kind of like powerful dudes. Right. Yeah. And I always loved working with Nick and we always had so much fun and just, uh, as they did with everybody on the show, but everybody is their own sort of flavor. Right. So, you know, and, and Nick and I always had great laughs together and, um, this was good because it, it's not, you know, last week's episode was cr- Banjo Crazy Chris which is one gear. And this was, um, you know, more, um, it, it's more story driven and, you know, I, the, I have to play an authority figure, which, which is, um, a, a part of Chris that makes it not, not just a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. It's that kind of like 80, 20 thing yep. where, where it's like, yeah, you got to show a different side of him. Um, and you know, did, was there anything specifically like, you know, there there's a lot of different kinds of actors in the show. We've kind of talked about how, you know, there's people who come from stand-up, people who come from improv, people who come from theater, people, you know, you had been obviously in movies and tons of TV shows before this. Like, did you ever tailor, like, how, how you were treating your scene partners or, like, was there anything you noticed when you were acting? Because I certainly, like, feeling like when, when, when we would give you guys notes, like, yeah, every actor's different. Like, oh. Was, was there anything feel-wise? I mean, the thing I noticed the most over the course of the time there was the growth of Aziz as an actor. I mean, it was marked and unmistakable. Um, you know, when I, when I first arrived, you know, as it was like, you could see Aziz was just learning. I mean, he was a, he was a stand up comic and became, and and is now a a really amazing actor, but he wasn't at first. And, um, so you really saw Aziz grow and, you know, and with, with Amy and Rashida, particularly Rashida, that she was, she has such a great realism, but you always got the sense that. She, she wanted to be, she was a great writer and that's what she had, you know, that that was something that she wanted to, to do. Everybody had their thing, you know, I yeah. mean, and that's what makes the show so, so interesting. And, and yeah, and coming into it, I, I absolutely could see that everybody had their, their lane as an actor. 
Yes, I think, and it, it, I think the diversity of approaches from from where everyone came is is kind of interesting as well. Like it, it kind of all melded. And I think you know what you're saying about Aziz was is so accurate. He he's told me literally, like in person, he's been like, "Oh, have you seen those early episodes of Parks?" It's like I don't know what I'm doing. Like I just don't know what I'm doing. Like he's just he hadn't he hadn't really acted. He had been in Human Giant, which is a sketch show, and then like he had done you know smaller parts here and there. But he'd never been like a regular. He was young. He's 25 or whatever, and. And, you know, he got a lot better and, and, and got it better enough that he could lead his own show. And that was training, man. That's 100 years, or 100, 100 years, 100 episodes of acting with, with people like you and, and people who are more experienced. And um, same thing with Rashida, right? You, she, you were saying, like, it's her intelligence. I think her understanding yeah. of the story. I yep. think that's, you know, everyone has sort of their 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 strengths and, and really what they go to. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty incredible to, to, to see. And so that, that all stemmed from you and, and Ron acting or you and Nick acting together, which is always fun to see. Um, Tom wanting out of his government job. It's 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 been kind of a slow crawl to this point, but it's exciting to see growth. You know, it was always a very important to Mike that it was not a sitcom where everything is reset after every episode. Because there's plenty of sitcoms like that, very episodic, and it's like that's a totally valid way to do a show. And there's been many, many great shows, but he, it was important to him that there is growth in these characters and it's paced out at the right sort of speed. And we would call these sort of, uh, we would call them vectors, which is kind of like, at the beginning of the season, we would talk about, you know, interpersonal vectors. Okay, there's Leslie and Ben. There's a romance vector there, right? There's, you know, Leslie and Ann. There's their friendship vector. What is that? And 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 for Tom, it was like, okay, coming out of his shell and, and, and deciding that he wanted to, you know, pursue business. And so that always felt organic for the character. And, and uh, um we would we these are kinds of things we would discuss at our writers retreat before the season and try to accomplish over the course of the year and always keep that in the back of our mind. In fact, we would put up note cards along with all of the you know story ideas and 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 all the pitches for episodes. We would have cards that showed the interpersonal and sort of character arcs and vectors for the for the season, so they would always be in our minds. You know, um, since we're talking about Tom uh, looking for a new job, you know, as a writer of this episode or credited we got to do a little bit more work on some of the pieces in it and i had completely forgotten about this but as i'm watching the episode besides the fact that the site that tom uses to browse for a new job is hoosiercareers.com it's very specific yeah <laughs> job market yeah. for just people in indiana yes. maybe owned by the same people who own hoosier mate i don't know i forgot this but the resume he uploads it's so fast it I wrote it because it is exactly the same format I use for my resume that I just took it and I just inserted Tom jokes instead of mine. But I'm like, that looks like a Greg Levine resume. That is, that's the same font. That's the same bull. I pulled it up. It looks exactly the same. Um, and I, I looked it up and I, I paused it to get some of the stuff. But some of the things that he has on his resume, first of all, he's an angel investor for the Snake Hole Lounge, Pawnee, Indiana. He drove additional traffic to nightclub to the nightclub through ingenious marketing promotions. I love this. He made frequent attempts to contact A-list celebrities, Joan Calabeso, Pert Happily, and Diddy for personal <laughs> hosting events. Uh, successfully persuaded management to add one additional ladies' night special event per month. And made my namesake cocktail, the Haverford Boilermaker, appear on the drink menu through aggressive leadership and charm. Hire him. Aggressive leadership. Aggressive leadership and also made frequent attempts. It's always like always always putting a always put your attempts on a resume, whether or not they're successful. You gotta try. Yes. Exactly. 
that was there's a lot of a lot of plot in that episode because it leads up to this the next one's the season finale am i right am i correct that's right little sebastian is the next episode so yeah you got to set up a bunch of stuff and leslie and ben are dating they're advancing their relationship um and uh yeah we're, we're we're marching our way towards the finale episode 16 of season three um any final thoughts on this app boys i'm just glad that that desk is gone <laughs> um super glad i didn't didn't like the, i i think it's a weird looking wood too am i wrong uh, that, that's my memory of it it was a it's like ceramic or something yeah right? it was it's really like gray... weird whatever it was made out of was very depressing yeah. as well <laughs> <laughs> that that desk was your revenant. It was the revenant of the show. Yes, yeah. There's, yeah that's our new thing. We had, we've had, uh, we haven't gone back to our Ray Donovan moments on this podcast, and now we need to do our revenant moments, where it's yes. like a certain physical thing of shooting it that gives you the heebie-jeebies when you when you watch it. Every movie is either a revenant, a Ray Donovan, or a boiler room. <laughs> those are the only three kinds of those are the only three kinds of films according to the show. That's a Blake Snyder. Also, every say, TV yeah. show, yeah, every TV show is a kind of movie. It's all. Yeah. Uh, all right, another great. Congrats, Greg and and yeah. Ryan. Yes, that's a big deal, man. The first time you get your thank you. I mean, really, seriously, that's that. It's super, super hard to 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 get that that accomplishment and that uh, yes, really nice. It's a good testament to writers' assistants getting opportunities from showrunners. That's why people are there. That's why you're an assistant is to get that opportunity to do the next thing. So it's a really great thing showrunners do is give their assistants that break. Yep. Yes, absolutely. And very quickly, uh, before we wrap, uh, a gifts party's job update. The cold open is kind of a gift and a party to Ann Perkins for her new job. And at the end, uh, Tom is considering leaving for a different job. So <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of that yep. in there. Uh, uh, let's go to the uh, oops moment. Yeah, shall we do it? Yeah, what do we got um, here? Poster, con- poster continuity problem. Oh, boy. <laughs> in oh. the scene with Tom and Chris in the hallway up on the fourth floor, the poster on the wall behind them keeps changing based on who the camera is framed on. When it's over Chris's shoulder, it has a yellow box on it and more information. When it's over Tom's shoulder, it doesn't. That's... And I have here in the notes, this scene is not the poster child for continuity. Uh, I don't. I, I. I don't. I didn't notice this, but uh, I. I guess take a look at that. Right. You know, you know that famous line. It's that famous line. It's been attributed to every. You know, I. I've heard it was Oliver Stone. But whatever. The continuity is for sissies. That's what yeah, they yeah. say. I've. I've also heard if they're looking at the wallpaper, they're heading for the exits. That's you know? a good it's one. like when you're talking to the production designer. Like they're like, they're like you know, because you 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 have to make these decisions about every little detail that happens in the, on the set. And but you know that's also been said. Um, all right, let's do the episode MVP, most valuable Pawnee, which character moment this episode sticks out to you the most, and why? I would have give the episode MVP to Greg for yes. getting his first Reddit. One hundred percent, Greg. Thank you, thank you, and Brian Rowe, and Brian Rowe, my and Brian, Greg, and Brian. Absolutely. Shout out to you guys. Shout out to you guys. Uh, second MVP will be uh, Marlene because she hadn't been in the show in years, and then she came back to be in the show. Yes, agreed. Yeah, I want to just also give, because uh, I shouldn't take it for myself, but I loved it. I cracked up watching it. Donna, Meagle, Retta delivering Perflictus Club was so funny, so good. I loved it. And the Space Keyboard listeners, let us know who your MVP is by tweeting at Team Coco Podcasts or by using the hashtag Parks and Recollection. Let's move to the town hall. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Do you want to go to the town hall? I think you do. Should we do this in the fourth floor? Absolutely. Oh, wait, we should, should we do this in the in the circle desk? What's your what's your, Ooh, what's your let's take, all crowd guys? into the circle desk. <laughs> let's crowd into the circle desk. Maybe the circle desk is temporarily moved to the fourth floor. We can do it there next to Ethel Beavers. This town hall comes to us from Katie. Katie says she's a huge fan of the show. I've seen the series numerous times, but my all-time favorite scene is the tea lady scene. So that's in this episode. There's a sign at Ramsey Park that says, do not drink the sprinkler water. So I made sun tea with it, and now I have an infection. <laughs> I want to know everything about it. Who wrote it? How many takes? How did Nick ever keep a straight face while escaping her? It is simply the best. Thanks so much for any intel, and thanks for putting in this podcast. Uh, thank you, Katie, so much. We talked about this briefly in this episode. Uh, I certainly Brian Rowe contributed to this episode. And now, now, am I wrong? Is this the same actor, Greg, who appears in 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 some public forums as well, or am I wrong about that? No, she's the same one. I think she shows up once in Ron's office, maybe during a something like a ninety four meetings. But we see her again, and we've seen her once before. I think. Um, is is this the uh, cupcakes and lasagna woman, or, or what is that show? <laughs> there, like, there, like all I've been eating is cupcake and lasagna for the, the past year, and I feel terrible. Is it is that it, lady? I, I, I got to look at. I don't know. It's, it I don't want. I don't want. Now I now now we got to go back and research. But the the answer is uh, Brian Rowe definitely contributed to it, and uh, I love the scene where where he's spinning around um, in the circle desk. So you know what? Uh, for all the trouble that desk caused us, uh, it also provided with Katie's favorite. Favorite scene, so it was all worth it. That's all, it was all worth, worth it. it. It makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> all right, uh, that's about it for me. You guys got anything else? Otherwise, we're good. Nope. Um, I, you guys get ready for next week season finale. They don't come around all the time. Buckle up. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Subscribe. We get podcasts. Five star review on Apple. Thanks to Schulte and Craig. Congrats to Craig on this episode. And goodbye from Pawnee. We will see you next week. Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... 
No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.